Chapter 16 of the Texas Scouts. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Tom Mack, Tucson, Arizona. The Texas Scouts by Joseph A. Altscheller. Chapter 16 Fannin's Camp. When Ned made his startling announcement, he leaped down lightly from the wall. If you will look through the loophole there, he said to Colonel Ward, you will see a great force only a few hundred yards away. The man on the large horse in front is General Urea, who commands them. He is one of Santa Ana's most trusted generals. His nephew, Captain Urea, led the cavalry who besieged us yesterday and last night. Captain Ward looked but the Mexicans turned into the wood and were hidden from sight. Then the belief became strong among the recruits that Ned was mistaken. This was only a little force that had come, and Ward and King shared their faith. Ward, against Ned's protest, sent King and thirteen men out to scout. Ned sadly watched them go. He was one of the youngest present, but he was first in experience, and he knew that he had seen aright. General Urea and the main army were certainly at hand, but he deemed it wiser to say nothing more. Instead, he resumed his place on the wall and kept sharp watch on the point where he thought the Mexican force lay. King and his scouts were already out of sight. Ned suddenly heard the sound of shots, and he saw puffs of smoke from the wood. Then a great shout arose, and Mexican cavalry dashed from the edge of the forest. Some of the other watchers thought the mission was about to be attacked, but the horsemen bore down upon another point to the northward. Ned divined instantly that they had discovered King and his men and were surrounding them. He leaped once more from the wall and shouted the alarm to Ward. The men out there are surrounded, he cried. They will have no chance without help. Ward was brave enough, and his men, though lacking skill, were brave enough, too. At his command, they threw open the gate of the mission and rushed out to the relief of their comrades. Ned was by the side of Ward near the front. As they appeared in the opening, they heard a great shouting, and a powerful detachment of cavalry galloped toward their right, while an equally strong force of infantry moved on their left. The recruits were outnumbered at least five to one, but in such a desperate situation, they did not blench. Take good aim with your rifles, shouted Ward. And they did. A shower of bullets cut gaps in the Mexican line, both horse and foot. Many riderless horses galloped through the ranks of the foe, adding to the confusion. But the Mexican numbers were so great that they continued to press the Texans. Young Urea, his head in thick bandages, was again with the cavalry, and animated by more than one furious impulse, he drove them on. It became evident now, even to the Ross, that the whole Mexican army was present. It spread out to a great distance and enfolded the Texans on three sides, firing hundreds of muskets and keeping up a great shouting. Ned's keen ear also detected other firing off to the right, and he knew that it was King and his men making a hopeless defense against overpowering numbers. We cannot reach King, groaned Ward. We have no earthly chance of doing so, said Ned. And I think, Colonel, that your own force will have a hard fight to get back inside the mission. The truth of Ned's words was soon evident to everyone. It was only the deadly Texan rifles that kept the Mexican cavalry from galloping over them and crushing them at once. The Mexican fire itself, coming from muskets of shorter range, did little damage. 
yet the Texans were compelled to load and pull trigger very fast as they retreated slowly upon the mission. At last they reached the great door and began to pass rapidly inside. Now the Mexicans pressed closer, firing heavy volleys. A score of the best Texan marksmen whirled and sent their bullets at the pursuing Mexicans with such good aim that a dozen saddles were emptied and the whole force reeled back. Then all the Texans darted inside and the great door was closed and barricaded. Many of the men sank down, breathless from their exertions, regardless of the Mexican bullets that were pattering upon the church. Ward leaned against the wall and wiped the perspiration from his face. My God, he exclaimed, what has become of King? There was no answer. The Mexicans ceased to fire and shout and had retreated toward the wood. Ward was destined never to know what had become of King and his men, but Ned soon learned the terrible facts, and they only hardened him still further. The thirteen had been compelled to surrender to overwhelming numbers. Then they were immediately tied to trees and killed, where their skeletons remained upright until the Texans found them. You were right, Fulton, said Ward, after a long silence. The Mexican army was there, and we have plenty of evidence to show. He smiled sadly as he wiped the smoke and perspiration from his face. Ned did not reply, but watched through a loophole. He had seen a glint of bronze in the wood, and presently he saw the Mexicans pushing a cannon from cover. They have artillery, he said to Wood. See the gun? But I don't think it can damage our walls greatly. They never did much with the cannon at the Alamo. When they came too close there, we shot down all their cannoneers and we can do the same here. Ward chose the best sharpshooters, posting them at the loopholes and on the walls. They quickly slew the Mexicans who tried to man the gun, and General Urea was forced to withdraw it to such a distance that its balls and shells had no effect whatever upon the strong walls of the church. There was another period of silence, but the watchers in the old mission saw that much movement was going on in the wood, and presently they beheld the result. The Mexican army charged directly upon the church, carrying in its center men with heavy bars of wood to be used in smashing in the door, but they yielded once more to the rapid fire of the Texan rifles and did not succeed in reaching the building. Those who bore the logs and bars dropped them and fled out of range. A great cheer burst from the young recruits. They thought victory complete already, but Ned knew that the Mexicans would not abandon the enterprise. General Urea, after another futile charge, repulsed in the same deadly manner, withdrew some distance, but posted a strong line of sentinels about the church. Having much food and water, the recruits rejoiced again and thought themselves secure. But Ned noticed a look of consternation on the face of Ward, and he divined the cause. It must be the ammunition, Colonel, he said in a whisper. It is, replied Ward. We have only three or four rounds left. We could not possibly repel another attack. Then, said young Fulton, there is nothing to do but for us to slip out at night and try to cut our way through. That is so, said Ward. The Mexican general doubtless will not expect any such move on our part, and we may get away. He said nothing of his plan to the recruits until darkness came, and then the state of the powder horns and the bullet pouches was announced. Most of the men had supposed that they alone were suffering from the shortage, and something like despair came over them when they found that they were practically without weapons. 
they were more than willing to leave the church as soon as the night deepened and seek refuge over the prairie. You think we can break through, said Ward to Ned. I have no doubt of it, replied Ned, but in any event it seems to me, Colonel, that we ought to try it. All the valor and devotion of the men in the Alamo did not suffice to save them. We cannot hold the place against a determined assault. That is undoubtedly true, said Ward, and flushed by the success that they have had elsewhere, it seems likely to me that the Mexicans will make such an attack very soon. In any event, said Ned, we are isolated here, cut off from Fannin and exposed to imminent destruction. We start at midnight, said Ward. Ned climbed upon the walls and examined all the surrounding country. He saw lights in the wood, and now and then he discerned the figures of Mexican horsemen riding in a circle about the church, members of the patrol that had been left by General Urea. He did not think it a difficult thing to cut through this patrol, but the Texans in their flight must become disorganized to a certain extent. Nevertheless, it was the only alternative. The men were drawn up at the appointed time, and Ward told them briefly what they were to do. They must keep as well together as possible, and the plan was to make their way to Victoria, where they expected to rejoin Fannin. They gave calabashes of water and provisions to several men too badly wounded to move, and left them to the mercy of the Mexicans, a mercy that did not exist, as Urea's troops massacred them the moment they entered the church. Luckily it was a dark night, and Ned believed that they had more than half a chance of getting away. The great door was thrown silently open, and with a moving farewell to their wounded and disabled comrades, they filed silently out, leaving the door open behind them. Then the column of nearly 150 men slipped away, every man treading softly. They had chosen a course that lay directly away from the Mexican army, but they did not expect to escape without an alarm, and it came in five minutes. A Mexican horseman, one of the patrol, saw the dark file, fired a shot and gave an alarm. In an instant all the sentinels were firing and shouting, and Urea's army in the wood was awakening. But the Texans now pressed forward rapidly. Their rifles cracked, quickly cutting a path through the patrol, and before Urea could get up his main force they were gone through the forest and over the prairie. Knowing that the whole country was swarming with the Mexican forces, they chose a circuitous route through the forests and swamps and pressed on until daylight. Some of the Mexicans on horseback followed them for a while, but a dozen of the best Texan shots were told off to hold them. When three or four saddles were emptied, the remainder of the Mexicans disappeared, and they pursued their flight in peace. Morning found them in the woods and thickets by the banks of a little creek of clear water. They drank from the stream, ate of their cold food, and rested. Ned and some others left the wood and scouted upon the prairie. They saw no human being and returned to their own people, feeling sure they were safe from pursuit for the present. Yet the Texans felt no exultation. They had been compelled to retreat before the Mexicans, and they could not forget King and his men and those whom they had left behind in the church. Ned, in his heart, knowing the Mexicans so well, did not believe that a single one of them had been saved. They walked the whole day, making for the town of Victoria, where they expected to meet Fannin, and shortly before night they stopped in a wood, footsore and exhausted. 
Again, their camp was pitched on the banks of a little creek, and some of the hunters shot two fine fat deer further up the stream. Seeking as much cheer as they could, they built fires and roasted the deer. The spirits of the young recruits rose. They would meet Fannin tomorrow or the next day, and they would avenge the insult that the Mexicans had put upon them. They were eager for a new action in which the odds should be not so great against them, and they felt sure of victory. Then, posting their sentinels, they slept soundly. But Ned did not feel so confident. Toward morning he rose from his blankets, yet he saw nothing. The prairie was bare. There was not a single sign of pursuit. He was surprised. He believed that at least the younger Urea with the cavalry would follow. Ned now surmised the plan that the enemy had carried out. Instead of following the Texans through the forests and swamps, they had gone straight to Victoria, knowing that the fugitives would make for that point. Where Fannin was, he could not even guess, but it was certain that Ward and his men were left practically without ammunition to defend themselves as best they could against a horde of foes. The hunted Texas sought the swamps of the Guadalupe, where the Mexican cavalry could not follow them, but where they were soon overtaken by skirmishers. Hope was now oozing from the raw recruits. They seemed to be no place in the world for them. Hunted here and there, they never found rest. But the most terrible fact of all was the lack of ammunition. Only a single round for every man was left, and they replied sparingly to the Mexican skirmishers. They lay now in miry woods, and on the other side of them flowed the wide and yellow river. The men sought, often in vain, for firm spots on which they might rest. The food, like the ammunition, was all gone, and they were famished and weak. The scouts reported that the Mexicans were increasing every hour. It was obvious to Ned that Ward must surrender. What could men without ammunition do against many times their number well armed? He resolved he would not be taken with them, and shortly before day he pulled through the mud to the edge of the Guadalupe. He undressed and made his clothes and rifle into a bundle. He had been very careful of his own ammunition, and he had a half dozen rounds left, which he also tied into the bundle. Then, shoving a fallen log into the water, he bestrode it, holding his precious pack high and dry. Paddling with one hand, he was able to direct the log in a diagonal course across the stream. He toiled through another swamp on that shore and, coming out upon a little prairie, dressed again. He looked back toward the swamp in which the Texans lay, but he saw no lights and he heard no sounds there. He knew that within a short time they would be prisoners of the Mexicans. Everything seemed to be working for the benefit of Santa Ana. The indecision of the Texans and the scattering of their forces enabled the Mexicans to present overwhelming forces at all points. It seemed to Ned that the fortune, which had worked in their favor until the capture of San Antonio, was now working against them steadily and with overwhelming power. He gathered himself together as best he could and began his journey southward. He believed that Fannin would be at Goliad or near it. Once more that feeling of vengeance hardened within him. The tremendous impression of the Alamo had not faded a particle, and now the incident of Ward, Refugio, 
and the swamps of the Guadalupe, was cumulative. Remembering what he had seen, he did not believe that a single one of Ward's men would be spared when they were taken as they surely would be. There were humane men among the Mexicans, like El Monte, but the ruthless policy of Santa Anna was to spare no one, and Santa Anna held all the power. He held on toward Goliad, passing through alternate regions of forest and prairie, and he maintained a fair pace until night. He had not eaten since morning, and all his venison was gone, but strangely enough he was not hungry. When the darkness was coming, he sat down in one of the little groves so frequent in that region, and he was conscious of a great weariness. His bones ached, but it was not the ache that comes from exertion. It seemed to go to the very marrow. It became a pain rather than exhaustion. He noticed that everything around him appeared unreal. The trees and the earth itself wavered. His head began to ache and his stomach was weak. Had the finest of food been presented to him, he could not have eaten it. He had an extraordinary feeling of depression and despair. Ned knew what was the matter with him. He was suffering either from overwhelming nervous and physical exhaustion, or he had contracted malaria in the swamps of the Guadalupe. Despite every effort of the will, he began to shake with cold, and he knew that a chill was coming. He had retained his blankets, his frontierman's foresight not deserting him, and now, knowing that he could not continue his flight for the presence, he sought the deepest part of the thicket. He crept into a place so dense that it would have been suited for an animal's den, and lying down there, he wrapped the blankets tightly about himself, his rifle, and his ammunition. In spite of his clothing and the warm blankets, he grew colder and colder. His teeth chattered, and he shivered all over. He would not have minded that so much, but his head ached with great violence, and the least light hurt his eyes. It seemed to him the culmination. Never had he been more miserable, more lost of both body and soul. The pain in his head was so violent that life was scarcely worth the price he sank by and by into a stupor. He was remotely conscious that he was lying in a thicket somewhere in boundless Texas, but it did not really matter. Cougars or bears might come there to find him, but he was too sick to raise a hand against them. Besides, he did not care. A million Mexicans might be beating up those thickets for him, and they would be sure to find him. Well, what of it? They would shoot him, and he would merely go at once to some other planet, where he would be better off than he was now. It seems that fate reserves her severest ordeals for the strong and the daring, as if she would respond to the challenges they give. It seems also that often she brings them through the test, as if she likes the courage and enterprise that dare her, the all-powerful, to combat. Ned's intense chill abated. He ceased to shake so violently, and after a while he did not shake at all. Then the fever came. Intolerable heat flowed through every vein, and his head was ready to burst. After a while, violent perspiration broke out all over him, and then he became unconscious. Ned lay all night in the thicket, wrapped in the blankets and breathing heavily. Once or twice he half awoke and remembered things dimly, but these periods were very brief. 
and he sank back into stupor. When he awoke to stay awake, the day was far advanced, and he felt an overwhelming lassitude. He slowly unwound himself from his blankets and looked at his hand. It was uncommonly white, and it seemed to him to be as weak as that of a child. He crept out of the thicket and rose to his feet. He was attacked by dizziness and clutched a bush for support. His head still ached, though not with the violence of the night before, but he was conscious that he had become a very weak and poor specimen of the human being. Everything seemed very far away, impossible to be reached. He gathered enough strength to roll up his blankets and shoulder his rifle. Then he looked about a little. There was the same alternation of woods and prairie, devoid of any human being. He did not expect to see any Texans, unless by chance. Fannin came marching that way, but a detachment of Mexican lancers might stumble upon him at any moment. The thought, however, caused him no alarm. He felt so much weakness and depression that the possibility of capture or death could not add to it. Young Fulton was not hungry. The chill and following fever had taken his appetite away so thoroughly, but he felt that he must eat. He found some early berries in the thickets, and they restored his strength a little, but the fare was so thin and unsubstantial that he decided to look for game. He could never reach Fannin or anybody else in his present reduced condition. He saw a line of oaks which he knew indicated the presence of a watercourse, probably one of the shallow creeks so numerous in eastern Texas, and he walked toward it, still dizzy and his footsteps dragging. His head was yet aching, and the sun, which was now out in full brightness, made it worse. But he persisted, and after an interminable time, he reached the shade of the oaks, which, as he surmised, lined both sides of a creek. He drank of the water and rested a while, and then began a search of these oaks. He was looking for squirrels, which he knew abounded in these trees, and after much slow and painful walking, he shot a fine fat one among the boughs. Then followed the yet more mighty task of kindling a fire with sticks and tinder. But just when he was completely exhausted and felt that he must fail, the spark leaped up and set fire to the white ash he had scraped with his knife, and in a minute later a good fire was blazing. He cooked the tenderest parts of the squirrel and ate, still forcing his appetite. Then he carefully put out the fire and went a mile further up the creek. He felt stronger, but he knew that he was not yet in any condition for a long journey. He was most intent now upon guarding against a return of the chill. It was not the right time for one to be ill. Again he sought a place in a thicket, like an animal going to its den, and, wrapping himself tightly in the blankets, lay down. He watched with anxiety for the first shiver of the dreaded chill. Once or twice his imagination made him feel sure that it had come, but it always passed quickly. His body remained warm, and while he was still watching for chill he fell asleep and slept soundly all through the night. The break of day aroused him. He felt strong and well, and was in a pleasant glow, because he knew now the chill would not come. It had been due to overtaxed nerves, and there was no malaria in his system. 
He hunted again among the big trees until he found a squirrel on one of the high boughs. He fired at it and missed. He found another soon and killed it at the first shot, but the miss had been a grave matter. He had only four bullets left. He took them out and looked at them. Little shining pellets of lead. His life depended upon these four, and he must not miss again. It took him an hour to start his fire, and he ate only half of the squirrel, putting the remainder into his bullet pouch for future needs. Then, much invigorated, he resumed his vague journey, but he was compelled very soon to go slowly with the utmost caution. There were even times when he had to stop and hide. Mexican cavalry appeared on the prairies first in small groups and then in a detachment of about 300. Their course and Ned's was the same, and he knew that he was going in the right direction. Fannin was surely somewhere ahead, but it was most troublesome traveling for Ned. If they saw him, they could easily ride him down, and what chance would he have with only four bullets in his pouch? Or rather, what chance would he have if the pouch contained a hundred? The only thing that favored him was the creek, which ran in the way that he wanted to go. He kept in the timber that lined its banks, and so long as he had this refuge, he felt comparatively safe, since the Mexicans obviously were not looking for him. Yet they often came perilously near. Once a large band rode down to the creek to water their horses. When Ned was not fifty feet distant, he instantly lay flat among some bushes and did not move. He could hear the horses blowing the water back with their noses as they drank. When the horses were satisfied, the cavalrymen turned and rode away, passing so near that it seemed to him that they had only to look down and see him lying among the bushes. But they went on, and when they were out of sight, he rose and continued his flight through the timber. But this alternate fleeing and dodging was most exhausting work. And before the day was very old, he decided he would lie down in a thicket and postpone further flight until night. Just when he had found such a place, he heard the faint sound of distant firing. He put his ear to the earth, and then the crackle of rifles came more distinctly. His ear experience now told him that many men must be engaged, and he was sure that Fannin and the Mexican army had come into contact. Young Fulton's heart began to throb. The dark vision of the Alamo came before him again. All the hate that he felt for the Mexicans flamed up. He must be there with Fannin, fighting against the hordes of Santa Ana. He rose and ran toward the firing. He saw from a crest of a hillock a wide plain with timber on one side and a creek on the other. The center of the plain was a shallow valley, and there the firing was heavy. Ned saw many flashes and puffs of smoke, and presently he heard the thud of cannon. Then he saw near him Mexican cavalry galloping through the timber. He could not doubt any longer that a battle was in progress. His excitement increased, and he ran at full speed through the bushes and grass into the plain, which he now saw took the shape of a shallow saucer. The firing indicated that the defensive force stood in the center of the saucer, that is, in the lowest and worst place. A terrible fear assailed young Fulton as he ran, could it be possible that Fannin also was caught in a trap here on the open prairie with the Mexicans in vastly superior numbers on the high ground around him? He remembered, too, that Fannin's men were raw recruits like those with Ward, and his fear, which was not for himself, 
increased as he ran. He noticed that there was no firing from one segment of the ring in the saucer, and he directed his course toward it. As soon as he saw horses and men moving, he threw up his hands and cried loudly over and over again, I am a friend. Do not shoot. He saw a rifle raised and aimed at him, but a hand struck it down. A few minutes later, he sprang breathless into the camp, and friendly hands held him up as he was about to pitch forward with exhaustion. His breath and poise came back in a few moments, and he looked about him. He had made no mistake. He was with Fannin's force, and it was already pressed hard by Urea's army. Even as he drew fresh, deep breaths, he saw a heavy mass of Mexican cavalry gallop from the wood, wheel, and form a line between Fannin and the creek, the only place where the besieged force could obtain water. "'Who are you?' asked an officer, advancing toward Ned. Young Fulton instantly recognized Fannin. "'My name is Edward Fulton. You will recall me, Colonel,' he replied. "'I was in the Alamo, but went out the day before it fell.' I was taken by the Mexicans, but escaped and fled across the prairie, and was in the mission at Refugio, when some of your men under Colonel Ward came to the help of King. I have heard that church was abandoned, but where is Ward, and where are his men? Ned hesitated, and Fannin read the answer in his eyes. You cannot tell me so, he exclaimed. I am afraid they will all be taken, said Ned. They had no ammunition when I slipped away, and the Mexicans were following them. There was no possibility of escape. Fannin paled, but he pressed his lips firmly together for a moment and then said to Ned, Keep this to yourself, will you? Our troops are young and without experience. It would discourage them too much. Of course, said Ned, but meanwhile I wish to fight with you. There will be plenty of chance, said Fannin. Hark to it. The sound of firing swelled on all sides of them, and above it rose the triumphant shouts of the Mexicans. End of chapter 16 Recording by Tom Mack